I'd like to thank you all for coming. I know this sort of gig is a bit unconventional for you lot, but, uh... The man dressed in plain drab clothes in front of you pauses for a moment. A look of concern firmly cemented on his face. I'll give near anything to make this all stop. Though I don't have much, what I do have, well, it's... Unique, you might say. He looks at all of you, unsure how to read your level of interest. Probably because your minds and eyes are boggled by the extraordinary amount of trinkets and baubles that are hanged, mounted, dangled, and arranged around the entire room. All made of some sort of glittering glass. Abstract shapes, meticulous animals and beasts... Drinking vessels, bowls, pitchers, vases, dewdrops, all expertly made, beautiful, yet somehow exceptionally tacky. The farmer resigns to continuing his explanation. Poachers is, is what you're after. And not the clever type, mind you, but determined nevertheless. See, I farm snails, but a special special sort of snail. A sort of snail that doesn't exactly come from these parts, uh, or any parts, matter of fact, otherworldly, some might call them, but uh, they make for a good living, at least. He gestures to all the bric-a-brac and curios overflowing every nook and cranny. In your silence, he seems to sense your confusion, or perhaps simply your lack of understanding. Anyway... They got one of my snails the other day, but they didn't get what they came for. And so if you take care of these poachers, well, what they wanted is yours, see. The shell, I mean. That's what's left over. It's got some special properties, as I understand it. And as they learn the hard way. But what they're planning to do with it, I don't rightly know, but perhaps that's the sort of information you could pry out of them and put the shell to better use. By any means, it's quite valuable on the surface, I hear. Worth thousands of y'all gold coins, so I'm told. It's a fair trade, and I'm trusting your confidence, too, so as not to attract more attention, you see. So what do you say? I'll even throw in your favorites of my collection. Are you interested? Hey there, creatures, and welcome to Encounter This, a podcast exploration of the creatures from Dungeons & Dragons and the lore that surrounds them. Well, hello there, creatures, and welcome to another episode of Encounter This. My name is James, iridescent kid, and with me as always is Freeman Love Dart Iston. That's a sexy one. (laughs) Isn't it? Today, uh, my co-host, who shall forever be named Love Dart, will be taking us through <laughs> Flail Snails on Volo's Guide to Monsters on page 144. <laughs> so I don't know anything about the Flail Snails other than that I absolutely love the artwork. Yeah. So I'm, I'm really excited for this. Yeah. Um, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, and everyone in between and on the outside, 
I am Love Dart, your host. I'm <laughs> taking you through the flail snail. And you're right, the artwork is great. Um, the uh, 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 What I love about the artwork, I'm about to just cover it right now, is that every single one, and it's not that many, but they all are great. They're all like hyper detailed. There's a one E art. It's got way more lines than you I've ever seen in a one E art. The two E art is like outrageously detailed. Uh, we have five E yeah. art, which is the only one in color. Uh, and I have two more images from dragon magazine, which are just, you know, basically just two more, uh, perspectives on a, on a, on a snail, a giant snail essentially. Um, but they're all just really, really well detailed and they all look great. And we're sure that's one E art. Uh, well, it's one of your, according to Forgotten Realms Wiki. I didn't really <laughs> dive okay. in too hard for an original source. Okay. Um, it's just that we don't normally see that much black lining in one of your, which right. is, you well, know, not I always, love it. Yeah, yeah. But, okay, cool. That And that two yard is just one of the most gorgeous pieces it's of art I think we're going to share. Crazy good. <laughs> it's uh, for... For uh, for a snail, <laughs> you know, like of all creatures to get that much detail and, and awesomeness, uh, it's the flail snail. Um, but let me tell you about this creature and um, and uh, what it looks like, so that you'll have a better idea what, what we're talking about. Uh, so the flail snail, as you would guess, is a, is a snail, um, and it is in fact a creature of elemental earth. Uh, it looks very much like a large snail. Its head, however, is comprised of five tentacles similar to eye stalks, but with spiky mace-like growths on the ends. Um, if you look at some of the older artwork, you'll see some sensory appendages that are a little bit more like eye stalks than these tentacles. And then the 5e art specifically, um, they're more in like a mouth area and are a little bit less like eye stalks, but still very similar. Yeah, um, the 5e art's really akin to the 1e art, whereas the 2e art and the Dragon Magazine stuff definitely has, like, proper, proper eye stocks. Right, yeah, and, and all three of those are are literally in Dragon Magazine, so they are from the exact same source and edition. That makes sense, then. Yeah. yeah. So, very consistent. Um, so, their body ranges from brown to reddish-orange, uh, and the shell that they have shines with iridescent colors. Um. And if they are left undisturbed, the snail meanders slowly along the ground, consuming everything on the surface. But in particular, they they consume rocks, soil, minerals, etc. And it only stops. It actually can constantly moves. The only time it stops is to feast on large mineral deposits or crystal formations and to savor them. Um... And uh, so it really, really enjoys the flavors of those. But otherwise, constant motion, albeit quite slow. As it travels, it leaves behind a shimmering trail that solidifies into a thin layer of nearly transparent substance that the snail finds inedible or presumably undigestible. This glassy residue is harvested by some, and Wizards of the Coast became strangely vague with why and what for in their own wording. So this glassy residue can be, quote, cut to form window panes of varying clearness. So I thought stained or shaded glass, you probably could have said. Uh, but then they continued, uh, they can also be, quote, heated and spun into glass objects of other sorts, which is extremely vague. <laughs> so I thought 
blown glass, perhaps? Um, yeah, it sounds like they just didn't have a glass-making consultant on hand. <laughs> you know those things, those things that people do? Uh, yeah, you could do with that. <laughs> yeah. yeah. All right. Um, I, I I love that lore so far. I did not expect this creature to be uh, of of elemental earth. Right. Yeah. Right. Uh, and they almost look, uh, especially you know, so with five E again, it's the only one with color. Um, they give off a, a fire vibe because they have this. The tentacles are like this bright, glowing reddish, uh, orange, I guess, and then the body is more orange as well, with the blue dominating the iridescent shield. You know, uh, bits of uh, orange and pink throughout. Um, yeah, yeah. To me, uh, at least the body itself gives off a fiery vibe, but no, very much earth. Um, awesome. Yeah. So uh, it's so as it stands to reason that some people actually make a living on the collection of this residue. So you know, becoming you know, using it in their glass making pro- uh, processes. But um, hunters also seek out this creature for its prized multi-hued shell. And are often lulled into a false sense of security as the creature appears ponderous and very non-hostile. However, whenever any creature large enough to be a threat approaches, they are met with flashes of scintillating light, followed by attacks from its mace-like tentacles. Oh, that's cool. So mm. it uses its like its its mirror-coated shell to blind them and then just smashes them with its head. Mm, pretty much, yeah. <laughs> Cool, <laughs> and it goes it goes further because that shell um, is is v- so it's very valuable uh, in more ways than one. Um, it weighs up to about two hundred fifty pounds or one hundred thirteen kilograms, so it ain't light, and it sells for about five thousand gold. And the reason That's it sells so much, yeah, so it's so much, in five e it's so much gold. Um, <laughs> the um, uh, the reason it sells for so much is that it has anti-magic properties. And a skilled armorer can actually make uh, about three shields from a single shell. And the anti-magic properties will remain on the shield for one month, after which they fade. Uh, and then an exotic shield is left behind that can be made into a spell guard shield. Cool. Yeah. And we'll discuss the spell guard shield later. Um, also the shell can be ground up into powder uh, and then added to dye, which is then put into a garment and also uses a material component in a ritual that enchants uh, robes or some sort of uh, garment uh, equivalent um, to create a, a magic item called the robe of scintillating colors. Okay, I'm familiar with that item, oh, yeah. and I, okay. I fucking love that item. It's okay, so <laughs> yeah, it's pretty sweet. Again, I'll discuss it later. I'm, I'm going to save those two items for uh, the mechanics later. Okay, cool. Because um, they are directly reflected with the the stat block itself. Um, but that that that's pretty much it for five uh, E lore, plain and simple. It's really good, but it's you know nothing nothing uh, complicated. Yeah, which is what we've come to expect. I mean, this thing. In, in the, the monster manual, it takes up a full page, but its lore is only two paragraphs. Yeah, <laughs> the rest of it's stat block. <laughs> and I knew this creature was going to be interesting mechanically-wise. I didn't think it would be, you know, quite as interesting story-wise, uh, lore-wise. And I do really like what's there so far. And of course, of course, I found an article in Dragon Magazine. Um, you know, that's where the artwork's coming from. And there is the ecology of the flail snail. 
and awesome. I've so grown to love these. Uh, the the title the title of this article is called "The Price of Flailier." <laughs> Magic. Do we know who wrote this one? Um, I could tell you real quick. Um, uh, this one is written by Jonathan M. Richards, <laughs> and the illust- okay, cool. illustrations by Brad McDevitt. Um, nice. <laughs> the most of the article is like a storytelling sort of thing. Where there's a meeting of monster, hu- uh, the monster, there's a meeting of the monster hunters association. Um, they're opening like a meeting, uh, and they're talking about uh, various things. So it's, it's a really good read, but also it just comes with like really fine print footnotes across the board that, that just give facts about the flail snail and its ecology. So that, this is where, I, that's where I've ripped most of this information, but it's well worth a, a read. Um, it's easy to find these dragon magazine PDFs online as well. So I, I recommend people going and check them out. And of course it'll be in our, in our reading list, but, um, awesome. Here's a, just a few things that I thought were interesting. There was a lot, actually, um, and I, I just picked my favorite parts, um, or the most applicable as well. Uh, but according to Dragon Magazine, in this article, The Price of Flailier, uh, uh, they had limited sight from their small sensory appendages uh, on the head, and being able to differentiate uh, between light and dark and detect movement, um, but only out to a range of 20 feet. Um which I thought was pretty cool to me. That's almost like adding to that lull you lulling you into a, a false sense of security where, you know, you could get like 30 feet away, 25 feet away. And all of a sudden you're like, okay, this thing's not, not responding. Uh, it's going to be an easy kill. And suddenly you're in 2015 range and it just, and it just turns on you and boom, flash a light, which is reasonably important given what the range is going to be when we get to the mechanics. Uh, but, uh, these sensory appendages, they, uh, were, um, because of this limited sight, it effectively made them immune to visual-based illusions um, because they just didn't really rely on their sight very much. And That makes a lot of sense. Yeah. And spells like Light or Continual Flame, um, you know, there is a strategy where you can cast those onto, like, uh, appendages and stuff. So they're, they're, these are sensory organs uh, on appendages. You cast them on there, and you can effectively blind the creature. However, it's not overly effective with this creature in particular, because of uh, the actual sight being a, such a small portion of its sensing movement. And it also detects through air vibrations uh, for a larger portion. And these appendages have a highly developed olfactory senses. So um, in 2E mechanics, and I'm sure this would be reasonably easy to translate, uh, they only suffered, instead of being a, f- a full-blinded condition, they only suffered a minus one penalty to attack rolls and no penalty to AC at all. So it's just a, you know good idea but it's not going to be nearly as effective on this creature as you'd think yeah i I like that change the rule though that's that's neat yeah yeah so yeah they have the blinding condition but the blind blinding condition now seems to be altered you know uh, or depending on what your order of operations would be um here's one of my favorite parts they justify their immunities so Skipping ahead a little bit, Earth Elemental, we you pretty much can guarantee they'll be immune to poison and and some such. Um, that's a pretty standard thing. Um, in this case, they explained it away by by stating that uh, the Flayless now has a very slow metabolism, which means that it doesn't give the poison a chance to actually affect the body before the body has broken it down. And oh. Yeah, so it's just like it's it because uh, the poison needs to spread through your body, through your bloodstream, and hit the hit the vital spots, right? But because it all flows so uh, slowly on the inside, 
that uh, it ends up being broken down by by the uh, you know, internal fluids or what have you uh, before it can actually reach the parts that it attacks, the poison would attack. So that's why they're immune. <laughs> I love that. Yeah, we need more of that. Yeah. <laughs> and their, their, their immunity to fire uh, is also via not only their shell being immune itself, but um, a, a protective mucus layer on its body. Um, which also, uh, I'm skipping ahead of my own notes here, that protective mucus layer also makes them more resistant to things like salt. So salt being, you know, this sort of thing we all know that affects snails or slugs in the real world and was at times, I don't know if it's it's done in 5e so much um, or if it comes up, but um, it has been in the past, you know, weakness to salt when it comes to creatures like this, which is a very atypical uh, mechanic, but it is there. Um, getting back into a little more of the uh, biology, uh, the tentacles on their heads were said to weigh about 10 pounds each. And despite um, the uh, most illustrations, uh, the there's supposed to be knobby protrusions on these mace-like flails and not spikes. So you can see in the 5e art, very specifically spiky. Yeah. But the and the one ER as well, but the two E stuff where a lot of this is coming from, um, they're they very much are knobby um and blunt. Right. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. It it, it is starkly different to the one and five E art. Those very. are very clearly um yeah. uh, spines or spikes or wh- yeah. whatever you want to call them. Mm-hmm. Uh interesting. Yeah. Which is I think is important for, for determining um damage type, right? But we'll get to that when we get to the mechanics as well. I think it also makes sense for the nomenclature. If I'm not mistaken, a flail is a blunt o- object, whereas a morning star is a spiked one. Yeah, I mean, but you can have you can have a flail with a spiked head as well. I don't, I, I don't know if you just call it a spiked flail, I think, but um, it's not like they couldn't have it. Um, they just maybe generally didn't. With just a single spike? No, I like multiple spikes. I think that's called a morning star. Oh, I thought a morning star was... Was like a, a single rod with a ball in the head, uh, the spiky ball on the head, not like a yeah. chain. Oh, maybe you might be right. Yeah, mm. just like a spiked mace. Uh, yeah, exactly. So, I mean, okay. that, I think that's what it is. We're probably looking at mace flail. That's the difference is the chain, and then you can spike them or don't. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and, okay. and that's about Got it. it. Yeah, maybe it's not nearly as complicated as we think. Um, uh, but uh, these ten pound. Uh, Tentacles, uh, they could uh, they could smash through one inch thick wood with ease, more or less. And so I, I kind of love this too. It's an old mechanic, um, but um, uh, would, if you were wielding a, a wooden shield, uh, that shield would have to make a saving throw against one of these hits. Oh, cool! I like that. Yeah, um, I miss. I, I don't miss um, equipment having saving throws, but I miss equipment being able to be damaged. Right, especially in, in particular scenarios. You know. Mm-hmm. Um, like this is a very very specific use case. Like I yeah. can't think of any any class other than a druid ever wielding a wooden shield. <laughs> right, but that's yeah, cool. Pretty much. Yeah. Oh, I uh, wonder if if it would affect bark skin too, which would be kind of neat. Oh yeah, that would be kind of neat. That be that would be neat to like sort of um, bypass the the AC bonus that that offers or something. Yeah, that's a cool idea. Yeah. I like that a lot. Inspiration. Uh, <laughs> yeah. uh, this article also mentions another book, which I thought was kind of interesting. It, it points out the Monstrous Compendium 5, Greyhawk Adventures. 
in which that book claims that flail snails give birth to one to three young and are silicon-based gastropods. And it specifically makes references to females and mothers. Dragon Magazine goes out of its way to correct this, stating that they are indeed hermaphroditic like most land-dwelling snails and produce both sperm cells and eggs. And uh, they are still gastropods, however. Um, I just thought it was funny. They, they basically, the magazine retconned its own, its own lore or some such. <laughs> Take uh, that, Gygax. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, uh, so uh, through the uh, – so they do need to sort of mate in a way, though, in order for, for this to, to work. Um, so as much as they are hermaphroditic, they need to find another uh, snail to um, uh, collaborate with. <laughs> um, and they do so by exchanging packets of sperm with uh, another snail, and then they part ways. The exchange is through projecting love darts into each other's bodies. <laughs> Uh, and so is that is that how like regular ass snails reproduce it is actually yeah okay, that's, that's what i thought later, this yeah. is this seems very familiar to me uh so it wasn't to me when i was reading this so i was like what the hell did i just read i was so confused they project love darts into each other's bodies is this some sort of coy way of saying uh coitus <laughs> i don't know um, and there's a quote i took a quote because i love it I'll, I'll start and end the quote so start quote flail snails cannot produce sperm without first having sampled their own or their intended mates love darts hey it works for them end quote <laughs> <laughs> I'm like this is just that's, so. That's cheeky. pretty fantastic. Yeah. So I thought. Uh, I actually thought this guy so. was like making this stuff up. I actually have a picture here. I'll throw it in the Discord now. This is an actual love dart of a snail under like yeah. a microscope, and um, they look like an arrow, and they are thought to be uh, where the Cupid's arrow mythology comes from. I don't think I believe that at all. But yeah, uh, I don't think if this is what it looks like under a microscope, there's no world in which ancient time, ancient Greece people saw this. Uh, I mean, fair. Uh, however, the size of uh, real life snails varies tremendously. So uh, oh, does it? I, I'm with you. I'm definitely with you. But we'll, we'll, maybe we'll come back to it in a sec. Okay. Um, uh, just finishing up on on the old uh, reproduction. Um, they basically, after about a month after this ex- exchange, a dozen or so eggs were, are, are laid, but only one to three will actually hatch. They'll eat their own eggshells and then are carried by their adult uh, for uh, about two years or until they the flails uh, reach a weight of about five pounds. Um, and then, yeah, so the last point here, or no, I got two more points. Um, the mucus serves as a lubricant for them to move. So they actually can't travel without it. And it secretes from a gland um, in its single foot. Uh, and I did say this already, uh, it makes them a little more resilient to the effects of salt, though not impervious. Uh, this, it just sounds like you're reading me off the ecology of a regular garden snake, like, except <laughs> for the five know. pound part. Like it's, it's, this seems to be, if I remember my biology correctly, pretty pretty close to actually how gastropods work i mean yeah i think i mean they certainly did their research on this one and they seem to usually for these ecology uh articles which is really great um i almost feel like whoever gets assigned one of these articles is just doing something similar to what we're doing for this show (laughs) we just pick a specific thing and just research the hell out of it (laughs) yeah i think i think they have to yeah yeah 
and then you know obviously tweak and edit and 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 make it fantastical but this is you know if if i remember my biology correctly like this is just what they do Mm -hmm. this house snail do um now flail snails are also known to hibernate now they were they use the word estivate in the article but i think they did so incorrectly but real world snails do estivate or can estivate so i think that's where the mix comes in so if you don't know what estivate is it's the opposite of hibernate essentially it's a it's a it's a summer months um hibernation if you will um and so flail snails specifically respond to the lack of food in winter so they gorge themselves and hide away for the season that's you know hibernation Estivation is a response to higher temperatures and arid climates in the summer season. And the snails in this case are specifically said to not be responding to that, but uh, the growing lack of food and vegetation instead. And that's that's why I think they misspoke. I think they used the wrong word and described the opposite. Um, however, there is mention uh, of them having response to the possibility of warmer air drying out their mucus. So um, now I'm at the point of getting mixed signals. Um, so this, they kind of seem to have failed in this area of the research a little bit. No offense. Uh, I forget well, your name already. Not necessarily. Yeah. It could just be confusing. Like maybe if the temperatures become too arid, they estivate and that's, that's right. it. But like what I read, it didn't, it didn't clarify it. It just like insisted yeah. on, it. they hibernate, but then described estivation and just specifically said they don't estivate. And you're like, okay, well, but, but they do because you're kind of going this direction and that direction. Yeah, I appreciate that that's what you focused on and not that we've already established their food is rocks and minerals. So (laughs) why would they have a lack of food in the winter months? (laughs) Well, uh... That's there's your there's your conflict of uh, editions there, two uh, E versus five E. Um, right. Uh, I guess there's uh, some. It's possible they they, they could go, continue to to move on uh, and and eat a vegetation as well. Um, uh, I I don't see that being outside of the realm of of reality. But um, uh, but yeah, you're you're not wrong. <laughs> you're not wrong at all. Um, it does. Yeah. Go out of its way to say that any flails that live underground, which you would presume um, are the ones eating the most minerals and rocks, uh, are unaffected by by this at all because there's no seasons to affect them. Um, yeah, that that was my initial thought, but we hmm. haven't established that they live anywhere other than underground. So, well, it's, nothing it's, said they they do or don't so far. Actually, they I just guess. they just eat rocks and minerals, but it's just more likely they would because that's where they're going to be the most abundant, right? Um. I mean, you don't really get. Well, I mean, maybe I'm mistaken. If we have any geologists in the uh, in the audience, please write in. But I don't think you get minerals above ground. Mm. But they also eat soil. Soil's fine. Mineral rich oh, okay. soil can be can exist, of course, right? Rocks. Right. They could just be dwell on the side of the mountain. I mean, surely one underground is going to be the most prosperous. But um, yeah, and yeah. they said they were silicon based. Is that right? Uh, at one point, it was claimed that specifically the 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 lore that was being corrected or retconned, um, oh, specified okay. silicon, um, but the the correction didn't didn't mention it either. So again, mixed signals. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I get it. It it's it's a drastic revamp of the creature. It's right. it's a pretty pretty yeah. aggressive reboot here. So it it makes sense that they would revamp all of it. Mm. Um, you know, as new knowledge came about. But interesting. 
Um, yeah. I like that they amended themselves and they yeah. did so in canon, which I really like. I really, really appreciate <laughs> when that happens because it, it, a lot of the times it feels like these additions aren't building upon each other, but we're right. getting like soft reboots of, of everything every time a new edition comes out. So mm. when they when they go back and retcon like, oh yeah, we learned more information about the flail snails. Right. And it turns okay. out we were I, wrong. I really, like such a yeah, better, such I, a better route. Yeah. Yeah, I really like that. That's one of the things I appreciate the most about Pathfinder 2E is that it's essentially just a sequel. Right. Yeah. It is great because we've t- this is a much more mild version of what we touched on before. It's like, you know, when we talk about Bullywugs and, you know, it's like, just give us the uh, according to they are like this, you know, um, and they are these nasty creatures that are evil and vile and what have you. Um, but that's like according to a certain perspective that is flawed. Um, and uh, here we have this uh, evidence of, of 2E just doing that to itself forever ago and in a much more mild manner. And it's great. Uh, it makes for great reading. Um. But anyway, the final point is that uh, the flail snail's stomach and liver can be ground and mixed with its blood to make valuable ingredients for an elixir of health, Um, which, for those who don't know, cures diseases and removes paralyzed, deafened, blinded, and poisoned conditions. Also, the skin and mucus can be similarly used to create a potion of fire resistance. I I like like that. I don't think they needed to include mucus in there. (laughs) <laughs> um, the, the mucus could have easily been a potion of salt resistance or like like you add a little bit of flail snow mucus to your soup if you've oversalted it I think would be a really cool way to use that yeah well there is a, another use of the mucus which is uh, non-conventional uh, it's an unconventional method of making a potion of climbing I can see why that would be unconventional yeah uh, part of the unconventional part though is that it's extra thick and it took longer to imbibe which just sounds awful yeah. yeah, it sounds terrible. <laughs> it's just not sounding like a good time at all. Like drinking a cup of honey. <laughs> like you'd probably like salty just honey. <laughs> you know, you'd probably just drown. Like I don't, I don't know yeah, if you right? could do that. Yeah, <laughs> surely it's diluted a bit. Um, I guess it's yeah. just honey with a splash of brandy. <laughs> uh, well. Um, uh, that's it for D and D lore. That's it. I've, I've cut myself off. Half of it was mechanic okay. talk. <laughs> I couldn't help myself. But uh, overall, I think pretty cool. Pretty cool. I like these guys. Um, simple. Um, but I, I just well, have like awesome simple ideas. Simple in all the right ways, but right. complicated in all the all the ways you'll never use as a GM. They're <laughs> fucking yeah. dope. I, I just picture I picture these creatures as a integral part of a, a particular culture in the Underdark or some such, you know, where um, where someone is like farming them and utilizing them for certain reasons and, or like trying to capture one for for something. Um, but anyway, I'm going to list you off a few fun facts about snails because okay. of course there is no mythology around a snail with mace-like tentacles that I could find. Um, I really wish there was yeah, like, me too. This, this deep ancient Roman. You know. <laughs> it would have been such a great surprise. Yeah. Um, but there are a couple cool facts about snails here. Um, the only measurable difference between a snail and a slug, you may or may not know, is the outer shell. That's it. Otherwise, they're the I same. I know that. Why do I know so much about gastropods? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> Uh, and there are some slug families that actually have internal shells on the insides of their bodies. Um, 
salt on a slug or snail kills it. We know this. But do you know why, James? Uh, I believe... Oh, uh, fuck. I knew at one point. I think it has to do with the chlorine. Ah, uh, see, it's not. Um, well, unless... Oh, it's the sodium? So basically, um, it's, not, it's not a chemical... Comical, it's not a complicated chemical reaction like most people seem to believe, that it's like some combination of what's in their body and this salt, and it's making it all like explode and expand and, and react. What it is, is very simply a super quick dehydration process. And snails have a need for extremely high water content in their bodies. They're dependent on it. And so if you add salt, it just very, it accelerates a rapid dehydration and they die from that. Plain and simple. Okay, that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I definitely thought their bodies just absorbed the salt too quickly, and then the chlorine leached into whatever they would call bloodstream, and it, it was uh, like toxic poisoning. But it, it's just the like the sodium's reaction to water. So you're just so that's, pulling that's the, the water out of their body. Yeah, plain and simple. Entirely too fast, poor guys. Um, snails are are not endemic. They live everywhere on Earth, which I think is pretty cool, and. Uh, very adorably, they prefer to eat together. They will join another snail feasting, even if another food source is readily available for them. That's pretty cute. <laughs> Isn't it? The world's smallest snail has a shell only 0.3 inches tall or 0.62762 millimeters. And can fit through the eye of a needle. That's really tiny. Although technically smaller exists, but anything that is zero, uh, 0.02 inches or smaller has a separate classification of micro gastropod. <laughs> I guess that makes sense. Surely. Uh, but that's it. Those are your fun facts about snails today. <laughs> Hope you enjoyed. I did. Yeah. This has been Love Dart Iceton. <laughs> and that, of course, brings us to the rather lengthy ingestion of... A beautiful black meal stout, along with the uh, lengthy stat block. Excellent. Excellent. I'm not going to lie. I wish the CR was higher, but I'm glad it's not like a CR half. We should just record that as a drop. (laughs) Just... (laughs) We should just cut our theme song. (laughs) Just make it... Not going to lie. <laughs> I wish the CR was higher. <laughs> Welcome to Encounter This. <laughs> uh, that, yeah, that if we do, if we ever do merch, that'll probably just be our first t-shirt. <laughs> I wish it was bigger. Encounter This. <laughs> um, plus now, I was going to throw it out there. CR3. Boo. Uh, yeah, boo, yeah, boo. Um, although probably easily scaled. So, um, I like the idea of them, uh, like, like usual, like the idea of them growing bigger and bigger and bigger as time uh, wears on. Um, 52 HP, speed of 10, very slow. AC 16, natural armor. They are large, however. Big boys. Elemental earth, of course. Unaligned. No languages, no resistances, immunity to fire and poison, uh, immunity to poison and condition. Dark vision, 60 feet, which is, you know, pretty stark contrast to the 2E mention of the 20-foot radius of vision. Uh, however, yeah. Tremor sense 60 feet, which is in line. I'm still kind of shocked that they're elementals. It is you know, a bit like odd, I, isn't it? Yeah. I, I get it, but I just, I was 100% sure these were going to be monstrosities, but it's, oh, it's really? cool. I like okay. it. Yeah. 
Um, yeah, I guess I could I could see monstrosity in a way. It's just like a big snail, but it does have these extra um, almost supernatural effects. Yeah, um, maybe one that was like warped by the plane of, of elemental earth or something mm, like that. Yeah. Uh, but it's cool. I, like, I I think there needs to be more elementals in, in 5e because there are not a lot. Yeah, there really aren't. Um, so we have the abilities to start. We'll start with the anti-magic shell, which is arguably the most interesting. Um, the snail has advantage on saving throws against spells and other magical uh, abilities, of course. And any creature making a spell against the snail has disadvantage on the attack roll. If the snail succeeds on its saving throw or a spell attack misses, an additional effect might occur. Roll a d6. James, roll me a d6. <laughs> you got one on hand? <laughs> I got a four. Four. Okay, four. Um, you have missed and there is no additional effect. Roll me another d6 on your second spell attack. <laughs> Uh, that is a two. A two. Oh, okay. Well, on a one to two, uh, if your spell was uh, something that affected an area or multiple effects, well, it fails and there is no effect. However, if it targeted only the snail, it has no effect on the snail and is reflected back at you using your spell slot level, <laughs> spell save DC, attack bonus, and spell casting ability. <laughs> that is so metal. Good luck. <laughs> Roll me another D6, shall we? Uh, I got a six. Uh, yeah, the snail's shell converts some of the spell's energy into a burst of destructive force. Each creature within 30 feet of the snail, presumably mostly your allies, now have to make a DC 15 constitution saving throw or take 1d6 force damage per level of the spell on a failed save or half as much on a successful one. <laughs> uh, I already have my doubts that I'm going to agree with this challenge rating. Right? <laughs> imagine imagine being a high-level caster, walking into a room filled with these snails, and you throw fireball down, <laughs> and then you accident, and then you roll a five or six on your die, and suddenly, suddenly, <laughs> 30 foot bursts of force damage at let's let's assume you're casting it, I don't know, sixth level of 66 force damage. <laughs> Just spreading across the room. One of these might suddenly appear in Frost Maiden. <laughs> and not to mention the fact that it completely doesn't affect the snail at all. You didn't you didn't get any of them. Um that that could spell danger big time. <laughs> the only time it affects the snail is apparently if you roll a 3 or 4, is that right? No, it's it's if you actually hit. So that you have disadvantage on your attack rolls or they have advantage on their saving throws. Uh but if if they succeed their saving throw or you miss, then you roll this d6 to see the effect. So three to four okay, just means so, you've missed or no effect at all. That's it. Yeah. So three to four and five to six is the only time it affects the snail. If you roll a one to two, it doesn't affect the snail, right? No, it never affects the snail if you're rolling the d6 at all. You've you've already missed or they've already succeeded their saving throw. Oh, okay. Got it. Got it. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah. Well, I don't know yeah. why that took me so long. No, I'll get it. And you have disadvantage on it. Which right. Is crazy. So if you do strike uh, true or they do fail their saving throw, then you don't have to roll on this table. Got it. You've just hit them. Yeah. Uh, so, um, anti magic shell. Pretty awesome. Uh, <laughs> flail tentacles. Um, flail tentacles always have five. And if a snail takes uh, 
10 damage or more in a single turn, um, one of its tentacles will die. And even if one tentacle remains, the snail regrows all the dead ones within 1d4 days. However, oh, cool. if all the tentacles die, the snail retracts into its shell, gaining total cover, and begins wailing. A sound that can be heard for 600 feet and stops only 5d6 minutes later when it dies. It's a very dramatic scene in my head. <laughs> yeah, that's something else. <laughs> for something that's unaligned and did you probably did you no harm <laughs> unless you walk up to it. Um, healing magic can restore its limbs, though. So something like the regeneration spell uh, can bring these cycles back and um, and halt the dying process. Interesting. Why? Why, why would? <laughs> yes. Why would you try and heal it? Like, why wouldn't you just like? Well, because like you beat this thing to a pulp, it starts screaming, it retracts into its shell, and you feel bad. Like, well, is this? <laughs> What is if this you, creature just designed to to <laughs> like to gaslight the players? <laughs> what if you were on the side of a flail snail farmer, and someone has attacked their herd, and they're dying, and you want to help save it? Not I always. have so many more questions. <laughs> they're, why, farm, why they're farming would, them why for, would, for the glassy residue, so they can make their blown glass and sell it as for a living. Okay, you've you've thought about this. <laughs> They're not all evil bad guys, James. Come on. <laughs> I wasn't of the opinion that they would be. I just I was like, what about this snail? Are you farming? Like, are you, are you farming the shell? Like, because that's that's horrible. No, you're not. You're definitely not farming a shell. It's that glassy residue and the 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 vague okay. uses of 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 uh, you know shaded glass and whatnot and blown glass. Yeah, and the lore specifically did say that some people make a living off of gathering this residue. So why not farm them if you can? I guess, yeah. If you've got mm-hmm. like an abandoned mine and you don't know what to do with it, just throw a bunch of flail snails <laughs> in there and wall it up. Maisel. <laughs> you have all the glassy residue you can handle. <laughs> uh, yeah. Let's get to the actual attacking, though, of this creature. <laughs> sure. that's That seems like a more valuable use of our time. Uh, uh, they have multi-attack, as you might expect. Um and uh, they can attack as uh, with as many tentacles as it currently has against the same target. So get ready to fight that CR again. Um, flail tentacle plus five, ten foot reach, one d six plus three bludgeoning. So it is bludgeoning, not piercing with those spiky ball heads. Um, right. That means if your fighter runs up to it right away and it. it gets its turn, and it hasn't taken more than uh, 10 damage or more in a single turn yet, it can attack five times against your fighter or your rogue or whoever got up close with a potential of, what's that, 5d6 plus 15? <laughs> that's not messing around. Um, no, that's that's not messing around at all. Yeah. I mean, I'm here for it. I, I like it. Yeah. <laughs> so... That's, that's 45 dam like max 45 damage or a turn? Yeah, I mean, at level yeah. three-ish. So that's not a small amount. <laughs> now it does, it's going to no. it's gonna lower that as you damage it because it's going to lose, it start losing its tentacles, but, but Also yeah. imagine you're, you're, you're a level three fighter with 30 HP and, you know, three of these, 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 four of these tentacles could take you down. It's got a fifth one. You automatically fail the death save. Like, 
That's yep. Uh, that's yep. nothing to shake a stick at. Sure isn't. Yeah. A, a, a small little interesting point of this though is that they have fifty two HP. If you happen to do ten damage exactly five times or five turns in a row, um, then you could effectively kill this snail without actually bringing it to zero HP. Because it would only bring it down to two HP, but now has lost all five of its tentacles and therefore will retract into its shell and die. Uh, like 5d6 minutes later. So it's a weird little loophole almost. I mean, it's two HP difference, but I think it's the only instance I, I've ever seen and probably will ever see of something being killed before it's actually reached zero HP. Yeah. Huh. Hmm. That, and that, of course, 52 HP is the average. That's, you know, you know how they add in the stat blocks. You can roll for the HP or you can just choose that that sort of... Just choose max. Number. Yeah, just Honestly, use max. Honestly, just, yeah. just use the max. <laughs> it's five guys. Choose max. <laughs> um, so they also have the scintillating shell ability um, or attack. Uh, it does recharge in a short or long rest. And the shell emits a dazzling colored light until the end of its next turn. Um, it sheds 30 feet bright light and an additional 30 feet dim and creatures that can see the snail have disadvantage on attack rolls against it and creatures in the bright light can see, uh, and can see the activation roll a DC 15 wisdom save or be stunned until the light ends. So it will effectively lose a turn. Right. Okay. Finally, they have shell defense. So standard action, they can draw themselves into the shell. They get a plus four AC bonus to this and can emerge as a bonus action on their turn if they choose. No, that's fucked. Don't, no, that's not it. Like, <laughs> why, is it why is it plus four when they have a tentacle or a, a tentacle left, but total cover when they have none left? Piss, piss off. I knew you were going to, I knew you were going to call yeah. that one out. I just knew it. I no. don't have an answer for you. <laughs> I'm right yeah. there with you. That's bullshit. <laughs> the answer is total cover. When they when they yeah, if full action to draw themselves into their shell, they get total cover. Yeah, fuck this a plus four AC bonus nonsense. Yeah, no, no, it's not Pathfinder. <laughs> yeah. Um. So there, there you go. There you go. That's 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 the step block in a in a nutshell. <laughs> okay. So if you see a flail snail. Don't fight it because it's just doing its thing. You're yeah. the asshole. You're yeah. You are the asshole unless you really, really, really want a spell guard shield or robes of scintillating colors. <laughs> yeah, I mean, like, I'm not, I'm not against you getting those things, but like, it could also just die of natural causes. Like, these things don't have an indefinite lifespan. Could do. Could do. Like, this. If, I'm, I'm gonna say it right now. If you go after a flail snail, you're a poacher. Yeah, hell yeah. Called out. <laughs> Anyone listening who's ever purposely fought a flail snail, shame on you. <laughs> yeah. You're, you're you're playing you're playing the game wrong. Uh you take uh, your obviously evil the, campaigns. That, that's a joke, but <laughs> yeah. the way I see it and the way I would run it in my campaign is that if you attack a flail snail, you will be you will be a poacher. Yeah. I mean, that's, for all intents and purposes, they are just Peaceful animals just rolling around eating, doing their thing. That's it. Yeah. Plain and simple. Um, the robes of scintillating colors are pretty cool. Um, they basically do exactly the same thing as a scintillating shell. Um, they, but you only have three charges and you regain 1d3 at dawn and it costs one action to spend a charge. 
But otherwise, it's it's the same thing. 30 feet bright, 30 feet dim, disadvantage attack rolls, bright light, wisdom save, stunned, end of next turn, yada, yada, yada. Same thing. Um, yeah, it's a really, really cool, like, defensive item. Oh, man, it's like an oh shit button for a caster. You know, if you're suddenly surrounded, boom, hit that. Like, it's like you might be able to actually just, like, stun everyone around you, if they, as long as they yeah. have eyes, you know? <laughs> it's crazy. So if, if you were to ever play a War Mage, this would be, like, an automatic go-to for me. Oh, yeah. You know, like, yeah. You're, if you're up front casting, uh, you know. Uh, being offensive like this this should mm. be your armor and this is like it's worth knowing this is a wondrous item it is very rare it does require attunement um yeah those are those are the categories listed with it um the other option is the spell guard shield uh also very rare uh and requires attunement and um it basically while holding the shield it grants advantage against attack rolls and magical effects and disadvantage to spell attacks against you so it's pretty much He's, you know, the the baseline of the anti magic shell ability. Yeah, these are these are also really powerful. Mm-hmm. Um, I like the idea that like if you if you because the way it was described in the lore is that uh, a good smith or armorer can create three shields out of this, but the effects of the shell in the shield um, disappear after a month. Um, but then you can re-enchant it you now have uh an exotic shield which seems to imply that you need some sort of exotic shield as a baseline for a spell guard shield um i didn't quite get into it but i know like also 5e doesn't have a whole lot um built into its crafting mechanics um but uh there is that sort of like one you have one month of this i actually like to think that the one month you get the whole anti-magic shell effect including that rolling on the d6 but after that month, like you can't keep it. There's no way to keep it intact and like maintain that on the shield. And then from there, you can re-enchant it to at least get the baseline. Um, might be a cool way to be like, okay, you have this massive advantage. Now you have one month to get the the crazy shit done and take advantage of it. But if you if you don't, then you you know you won't have quite the advantage of going up against that lich or whatever the hell you're you're trying to do. Um, yeah, I I think that's a great way to use that. Um, this would be the kind of situation where you would want to throw out a party who plans, you know, like they, they sit down, they take a few moments, you know, they take a couple of months to get their shit together. Mm. If there's no, the, the problem I've, I'm finding now with, with RPGs, um, you know, uh, specifically like Pathfinder and, and 5e is that there's always this time crunch. Like I, I never, mm. I never actually feel like there's any, any down, like long-term downtime right. in the games that I'm playing. That being said, we, we've been playing a lot of uh, pre-written modules mm-hmm. and they don't really seem to be written into the modules. It's very go, go, go. So, mm-hmm. you know, going out, finding a flail snail, murdering it for its, its shell, having a shell crafted like finding a crafter can actually do it and then mm-hmm. you know going on your adventure and hope hoping your adventure takes less than you know 30 right having 30 days whole, 90 days whole, yeah the a portion of this adventure is literally preparation for the rest of the adventure i love yeah. that i think it's fun um yeah i i love it too it just doesn't feel like there's a lot of room for it in the yeah. current editions um you know, at least in modules and homebrew, it's totally different. But mm-hmm. in uh, in in the modules that we've been playing and the uh, the adventure we're playing in Pathfinder Two, it doesn't it doesn't feel like we have that luxury, which kind of mm-hmm. sucks because it it just negates a whole mechanic of these games. Yeah. Um. You just, you made me think of like you know that time crunch. Um. It's so funny. Uh, like an hour. 
our current Pathfinder game, you know, you guys go, go, you guys do go, go, go. And you have some reason to go, 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 but you don't know, you almost don't know what the reason is, or you don't know, you know, if that reason is going to repeat itself. And it's a sort of self-imposed time crunch, you know? Uh, I keep, I keep trying to trying to go out of my way to say you have all the freedom in the world to take a week off, you know, by all means. Oh yeah, yeah. Right? It's not on you. It's yeah, just, uh, <laughs> I go out as of my adventures way yeah. in the situation mm-hmm. we're in, uh, and that's stemming the tide uh, is the name of that show. Mm. Um, in in that that adventure, we we as players, yes, you're absolutely right. It's a self imposed time crunch, but it's this fear of the unknown and yeah. something really terrible happened really fast in the adventure. Yeah. Um, I think episode 10 or 11. Yes. It started like 10. Yeah. 10 or 11. Yeah. Yeah. Which are both out now. Um, so like trying to avoid that from happening again is, uh, is a pretty huge priority for us. Exactly. And that's, that's the time crunch you have. You're like, okay, we want to step and make sure that doesn't happen again, but you don't know if it will or can even is, is the, is the unknown part. Right. But like that must, yeah. that might just, must just add to the, the sense of foreboding, you know, <laughs> that, that, like you it said, really that does. Mystery. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and you know, yeah. as, as somebody who's playing, um, I'm, I'm essentially playing a paladin, mm. uh, you know, it, it doesn't make sense to, to through, like, I can't, somebody's essentially playing a paladin i can't let harm come to others through inaction which is what right right my young paladin would think of as a week mm. off like right uh, she's not experienced enough in life mm. to know that preparation is doing something right yeah i guess that's it like that finally is it's not not a week off of like putting your feet up and reading a book you know it could be a week off of crafting and preparing and you know uh, sourcing resources and and organizing stuff to you know to 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 uh, be more prepared going forward, and like that 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 could that could be depending on your the perspective could be seen as as action and not inaction. But yeah, and yeah. that's how I would see it. But mm-hmm. my uh, like I said, I'm playing a very young um, young young paladin who's very yeah. young to adventure as well as as life. I think she's in her early twenties, mm-hmm. and it, it you know she she hasn't learned that preparation counts as yeah as action. Fair enough. Yeah. I mentioned at her age, she's just been, um, she's been trained, training, 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 and then out in the field, at the field, in the field, and then, um, you know, spoilers, I guess, a little bit injured, um, took some time off, now back to it, like, you know, probably, fe- maybe, I don't know if she feels guilt about having uh, taken the time off, but, um, uh, out of necessity, but, uh, but yeah, I, I, get, I see where you're coming from, you know, that, yeah, um, really like going, the extra mile to avoid inaction, just just in case. <laughs> yeah, just just in case, because mm-hmm. you know paladins are so volatile, um, especially in yeah. in Pathfinder. Like, and I I I'm playing the paladin like I would expect my players to play a paladin, where you should live every minute like you're afraid that your god is going to take your powers away. <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But I mean, fear fear to some degree, but also like you know, the reason you get your power at all was just through pure dedication. So it's like. Yeah, you know, it's like you, you do you so fully encompass and believe in in this pushing forward um, that it's not even just the the the, the letting down of the failing of your god you be failing yourself and everything you've worked towards. Yeah, there's there's a lot of reverence in mm. in her. Um, we shouldn't talk that much about her because <laughs> she hasn't debuted on the show yet. <laughs> It's true. It's true. She's come real. She's come, it's coming real close, though. So I think it'll be fine. <laughs> I think. I think it might be next episode, which will be out yeah, before think, this drops. 
Uh, perfect. Okay, so we're good then. <laughs> I, th- I think so. I need to. I need to check my notes to confirm that. But yeah. it's uh, it's real close. Right. Um, well, seeing as I were completely off topic. <laughs> yeah. Don't poach. And thanks for listening. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, other than uh, other than the shell events making that total defense, um, I. Uh, I don't think I would change anything about this creature. I would be wary about using it as a 3E creature or as a um, a uh, third. I'd be wary about using it as a CR3 creature, but I, I think it's actually pretty pretty close to appropriate if you have a if you have like a solid um, uh, like varied party makeup. Like if you have a couple of casters, you know, one is a utility caster, one is one is an aggression caster, and you've got a couple of melee characters. Like if you've got a party of all spell casters, like maybe, maybe wait till fourth level. Yeah, <laughs> just be on the safe side a little bit. Yeah, I yeah, mean, but I, I mean, even at fourth level, you're gonna have second level spells. So even if you know you're gonna you're gonna start tuning this snail up pretty quick. Yeah. This could this could actually could be a, a, a reminder encounter to your party that just because you have entered initiative doesn't mean you have to finish the encounter. They have to see it through to the end. And if, if the roles go really wrong for this, like casting forward party, like, you know, they might have to just turn tail and go, you know what, this really, we can outrun this extremely slow creature. It was really easy to creep up on. Um, so like, you know, and why have we attacked to begin with? Is it because we want the shell or is it because it was nearby, you know, or did we get too close because we were, because we were curious? Like it could be a good opportunity to teach, teach a, a, a small like life lesson there. You're just kind of like, you know, this is just, you know, yes, it's an elemental, but it is essentially just random fauna walking around feeding itself and you do not need to fight it. Yeah. Um, you, you guys as a part of you are actually pretty good about that. Hmm. Um, I often have encounters set up where you experience something and it's not uh you you don't act on it in a hostile way and mm-hmm. you just you just let it be and and the encounter never never manifests right uh yeah which is which is fantastic yeah we're uh, not we're as, not murder hobos for animals <laughs> no no as a second there's a consciousness involved it changes but, there's blood on the ground <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. Uh, good stuff. Uh, but I'm with uh, you. I, I don't think I'd change much of anything. Um, I, I think it's easily scalable uh, how it's built. If you want to up the damage a bit, uh, if you want to um, increase the DC for the wisdom save or some such, the con save. Um, but otherwise, you know, change the total cover thing and call it a day. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, and... If you want to, uh, if if you want to just give it a plus four to AC, you know, maybe it's got it. Maybe it's flails can't fit it in its shell or whatever, whatever reason you have for it. Um, we we trust you, but if you disagree with it, we absolutely want to hear about it. You can always shoot us an email at info at encounterthis.ca. You can find us on Twitter and Facebook at EncounterPod. You can find us on Instagram at Encounter.pod. You can find our backlog of episodes. Maybe you want to. I don't even know how to tie this into our back catalog, but you can find all of our back catalog at encounterthis.ca. 
Uh, if you really liked it, you can find us on Patreon at patreon.com backslash counterpod. $5 a month gets you a handwritten thank you letter and access to our show notes. For $10 a month, you can suggest a creature like our most recent outing, the Goro Juma from 13th Age, because it doesn't have to be a D&D exclusive creature. It can be from any system. It may just take us a while to get there if you want to... Um, I don't know if you want to do a like a Cthulian creature from Delta Green. Like we don't have any real experience with that system, so it would take us quite a while to get there. Mm-hmm. But we will get there. Uh, and I haven't talked to Freeman about this, but I do want to give a big shout out to Erica in Glasses. She is a manufacturer of handmade resin dye that are available on Etsy. She sent uh, she sent me a set of the mini polyhedral dye and is sort of our unofficial sponsor of this episode. And they are really, really cool, really fantastic. They come in this tiny little jar and uh, I'll be taking them on camping trips from here on out. So whenever I'm nice. backpacking through the uh, the British Columbia Isles, you know, if I've got <laughs> five or six days out, I'll, I'll be there with a, a small D&D adventure and a smaller set of dice if you ever want to. <laughs> if you ever encounter me on the trail and you want to have a 5e night, uh, I will be ready for you. There's pictures on the solo hike. You just like set up the campfire, like, well, it's time to roll up some character stats. <laughs> just pull out your dice. <laughs> uh, it's not far off. Um, when when, uh, when Jess and I did the West Coast Trail, I had like a little one-on-one adventure written in a little set of tiny dice and like a couple of pre-made characters. And I just, I you know, I, I didn't print them all out, but I kept the character yeah. sheets downloaded to my phone. Nice. Yeah. Um, that's hilarious. And I had the adventure mostly memorized, and it, it would. Uh, we we never ended up doing it. We spent most of our time reading sure. and uh, sleeping because it's fucking exhausting. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, big shout out to her. We will throw a link to her Etsy shop in the uh, the episode description. Um, they're really really nice dice, and they're like I said, they're all hand cast, made out of resin, and they're uh, they're they're made made right here in in Toronto. Oh well, they're made right here in Canada. Uh, so check her out she's also a streamer uh, pretty prolific on on uh, Twitch well relatively prolific on Twitch mm-hmm. uh, so big thanks to her for, uh, for for sending us some nifty trinkets yeah sweet and uh, we hope you enjoyed this episode and we will catch you in two weeks for a another well a return to ancient Greece Dun, really? Dun, dun. Oh no! <laughs> James covers the homebrew creature, Love Dart. <laughs> <laughs> uh, no. 